side journey and did some reminiscing and looking back at some of the things that we uh, began our family of faith, uh, you know, from the Word on and out of John chapter 2. But I want to get back into our uh, sermon series. And for the last several weeks, I've, I've carried some things with me to the pulpit that for one reason or another, we, we just haven't gotten to. And I feel led to lead with that this morning because I want to make sure that we get it out there. And a, a lot of that has to do, what we're going to look at as we begin this morning, it has to do with exposing the enemy. And the enemy does not like to be exposed. He does not like uh, for the truth about him to uh, be revealed. And so we're going to uh, begin with that this morning. Remember, uh, you were never meant to live in the world with a view of the world that comes from the world. We were meant to live in this world with a perspective, with a, a viewpoint of this world and our place in it that comes from our Creator Father, that comes from heaven. And we've also learned that the way we look at things determines the way we experience them. A child doesn't experience things the same as an adult. It's because a child doesn't look at things the same way as an adult. Now, there are obviously Jesus, and I think some of what he had to say about becoming like a child uh, has to do with that. Um, there's an innocence. There's uh, a, a, a humility. There is... Uh, a willingness to learn. There's so many attributes that are, you know, associated with childlikeness. Um, and, and one of that, of course, is you know, the older we get, if we're not careful, the more jaded we become, the more cynical, the more skeptical, the more, you know, what have you. Uh, but anyway, bottom line is the way we look at things determines how we experience them. Now, <clears throat> Satan's efforts against mankind began with enticing us to make choices that would distort our vision. And what we mean by that is, you know, distort, alter in a negative way uh, how we see things, uh, how we look at things. To distort means to give a misleading false account or false impression of. And we see, of course, how Satan uh, worked angles against Adam and Eve to ultimately... uh, trick them and, uh, and deceive them. So Satan is a deceiver and he is the father of lies. This is all according to Jesus and according to the scriptures. Jesus would have been accurate to simply call the devil a liar, but he didn't just call him a liar. He said he was the father of lies. And that means at least two very important things. Number one, lying originated from, the, from the, the devil. Lying is not of God. God does not lie, uh, cannot lie. And the, the concept of lying, the, the practice of lying, uh, the fact that, that the ability to lie exists, <laughs> all, anything associated, all things and everything associated with lying did not come from God. It came from the devil. And then as the father of lies, we see that he is wanting to try and father lies in our minds. He's wanting to impregnate us with his lies, um, literally for us to conceive of things from the enemy, lies from the enemy that are not true, that are not accurate. Now, let me give you a few verses. Um, first of all, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
verses 1, 2, and 3. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me, for I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And then again uh, later in that same chapter, verse 14, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So what Jesus, through the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is trying to help you and me understand is that the devil comes on the scene at different times in our lives offering light on the subject at hand. Literally, an angel, an angel bringing to you and me a new way of looking at things. He says, Satan's not an angel, he's a fallen angel. And he understands how to operate as an angel because he operated as an angel in right standing with God for uh, eons of time. So when he presents himself to you and me, it's not in a red suit with a pitchfork. It's not as Hollywood would, would try to picture him as, as the boogeyman and all these other things. He comes as an angel quoting scripture, misquoting it, but offering to you and me an alternative way of looking at things. This is exactly what he did to Eve in the garden and successfully enticed both Adam and Eve to look at the forbidden fruit in a different light. And then we examined how he tried the same tactics against Jesus, but obviously was unsuccessful and soundly defeated by him. Now, I want to come back to some things this morning, but we have along the way woven in this idea, this thought, this truth, um, that we can't be deceived into reasoning with the enemy. And, and that is ultimately what happened to Eve, is she wound up reasoning with Satan while at the same time leaving God out of the conversation. And we see that, again, Satan tried to do the same thing with Jesus, but Jesus held firm to the truth and to the Word of God. Now, it's interesting, and we do not talk about these things, that Matthew has mentioned uh, on a couple of occasions this morning already about defeating the devil. And I want you to, I want you to hear me very carefully now because I, I don't want... It, it, let me say it this way. It would be very easy for you to misunderstand what I'm saying and leave here thinking that I said something that I didn't say. All right, so I'm asking for your uh, full attention and the Holy Spirit, obviously, to help each of us really lay hold of, of what it is that He wants us to see and understand. But here, if I could just start with this statement, you cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deception. You, see, <clears throat> there are those, and this is where there's room for you to misunderstand what I'm saying, there, there are people who think that if they just say a few magic words that this is going to put the devil on the run in their lives. That if they just magically say, I bind you in the name of Jesus, that somehow the devil runs. Or if, if they just quote a Bible verse that somehow the devil runs. 
Jesus quoted Bible verses to the devil, and the devil didn't run. He quoted verses back to him. If the devil was ever going to run from somebody quoting a Bible verse, he would have ran when Jesus said, it is written. He would have took off before Jesus even had a chance to finish the statement. Now, I'm, again, you say, whoa, hold on, Pastor Mark. What, you know, did you hit your head last week? What's going on? No, no, just, just stay with me here. We see in the book of Acts where a, a, a group of men decided they were going to cast demons out of this uh, young man. And, and so they said this. They said, we adjure you, we command you, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And the demon said, well, and who are you? We, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know. Who, and they, the Bible says that they jumped on that, one demon jumped on that group of men and, and beat them senseless. Now, compare that to what the disciples said when they brought healing to the lame man at the gate, beautiful. And when they were called in, to give an account, they said, it's not our religious piety that has brought soundness to this man. It's the name of Jesus and faith in his name. His name through faith in his name has given this man his per the perfect soundness in, in which you see. So is, the, is there power in the name of Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Is there power in the Word of God? Yes, it is the sword of the Spirit. But the Bible is, is very clear that if, if we walk in hatred towards our brother, we, like, how about this one? I was raised in a house where we were taught to plead the blood of Jesus. But do you realize that there are attitudes and unforgiveness and things that you can hold on to in your heart according to the Word of God? That no matter how many times you plead the blood of Jesus, it's not going, the devil's going to laugh at it. It's not, it's not going to make him take off and run. What did James, the Holy Spirit through James, what did he teach us? That you must do what? You must submit yourself to God. That's the most important, right? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Are you with me? And that's when the devil flees from you. So there's a lot of people who want the devil to flee from them, but they do not want to submit to God. They want the devil to flee, but they want to keep the door open, right? They want to try to keep, they want to run the devil out the front door of their life while keeping the back door of their, of their life open for him to come as he pleases. And, and, and this just simply doesn't work. So I'm not, I'm not trying to, um, you know, say things controversial. I'm not trying to, you know, give people fodder to, um, can you believe what Pastor Mark said? That, that, that's, see, the bottom line of it is this. You cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deceptions. The devil does what he does through lies and deception. And you can, you know, quote scripture to him all day, but if you remain under his lies, he's still going to be able to influence your life to the extent that he's able to influence and control your mind and your thinking. It's getting quiet up in here. It's getting quiet up in here. Now see, the reason this isn't very popular preaching in our world today is because we like quick fixes and quick answers to everything, right? 
You know, we, we just, you know, tell me what I got to do. Tell me what I got to say. How many times I got to say it. What I got to do, you know, to, to, to get the victory in this situation. Uh, and it's that whole, it's back to that whole self-help uh, mindset of the world that's crept its way into the church where, you know, we want a, a pastor, a preacher, or a counselor, somebody, you know, write a book, whatever, and just tell us four or five things that we can go home and do to make our lives better. When what we ultimately see is, and, and Jesus said it in John 8, right? To those who believed in him, if you, a significant shift always includes a significant if, if you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples indeed. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. Notice what is the answer to lies and deception. Truth. Truth. You can never walk in freedom walking in double-mindedness. You can never walk in victory walking in double-mindedness. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world, 1 John 5. Amen. But what is the enemy to faith? First thing you say, well, doubt's the enemy to faith. Yes, but if you look closer at what the Holy Spirit revealed to us through James, at the, at the, at the root of doubt is double-mindedness or looking at things through two different lenses at the same time. And, and, and the Holy Spirit through James says to you and me that a double-minded man or woman will be unstable in all of their ways. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? All right, now, so you cannot overcome the devil unless you overcome his lies and deceptions. Let, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's look at some passages out of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 9. This is speaking of um, the way things are and the way things are, are going to be and how things are going to uh, develop and unfold. So look at this, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. The whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Right? Now, let's, let's go to Revelation chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, in verse 7, we see this release. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. I think you probably got it, but let me make sure that you understand. The Word of God says that when Satan fell and took a third of the angels with him, that he landed on the earth with one major goal in mind, and that is to deceive the nations, to deceive the peoples of the earth. Okay, And we see that he continues those efforts until he is locked away in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. 
And once he is locked away there, guess what happened to the deception? It dried up. No more, dece- no more deception for the nations. And then we see at the end of the thousand years, he's released. And what does he go right back to doing? He goes right back to deceiving the nations. He is a deceiver. Now, it's, we've talked a lot over the years about lies and deception and the father of lies and what it means to be deceived. And, and I, I want to try to blend this, weave this in to what we've been talking about most of this year so far, on Sundays anyway, together. And, and that is when you're deceived, you're not looking at things as they truly are. You're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing things the way God would have you to see them. This is, again, Satan's strategy against us is to get us to see things in the wrong light because how we see things determines how we experience them, how we respond to them. So if he can get us to see things in a distorted way, we're going to respond to things in a wrong or distorted way. And of course, this is where our lives unfold on a moment by moment, word by word, step by step, choice by choice basis. Remember, life is choice driven, therefore it must be spirit led. But Satan is wanting you and me to make decisions based upon a distorted perspective where we're not seeing things clearly. Remember Jesus The true light comes down from the Father. And he came to a people who were sitting in darkness. And they had been in darkness for so long that they thought the darkness was the light. They thought how they were seeing things and what they were seeing was was the way they were supposed to be seen and was all there was to see. Until Jesus came to open our eyes to a whole new world. Amen? Now... There are, there are all kinds of verses. I, I've got some other things I want to get to this morning, but let me, while we're here, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Amen. Let me ask you a simple question this morning. Have you received the love of the truth? Do you love the truth? There, there are a lot of people who, who <laughs> still like some of that shadowy stuff in their lives. Come on now, it's getting quiet up in here. They did not receive a love of the truth. We sing a song talking about oldie goldie. We sing a song around here. I'm happy to be in the truth and I will daily lift my hands for I will always sing of when his love came down. I'm happy to be in the truth. I've been wrong before and thought I was right and I didn't like that. That's one of the most dangerous positions you can be in in life is to be wrong and think you're right. That's where, the, that's where the devil wants you. He wants you in a place where you think you're right. You're convinced you're right. You make eight-year-old boys cry at school because they play an instrument in church. And you're convinced you're right. Couldn't be more wrong. A love of the truth. 
What did Jesus say about those who love the truth? Those who love the truth receive the truth. Those who give truth place in their lives, their eyes will be open to truth. What did he say about people who didn't love the truth? He said they'll stare till doomsday and never see the truth and stand right in front of them speaking to them. He said, you can't see my word, you can't understand my word because my word has no place in your heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go into, I, I, we could spend the rest of June on Sundays together giving examples of evil men and impostors growing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Is it sufficient enough for me to simply say this this morning, that we are seeing deception at levels that we have never seen before in our country? (laughs) I mean, did the scripture say it would happen? Yes. Evil men and impostors growing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what are we supposed to do? Continue in the things which we've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly supplied for every good work. Let's, um, let's look at one more. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. It's a brief verse, but man, the punch that it packs. We know that we are of God. Come on now, can you, can you say that's me? I know that I'm of God. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The Passion Translation says it this way. We know that we are God's children... And we also know that the whole world lies under the misery and influence of the evil one. Now, I want obviously the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John has a lot to say in in you know First John, the book of First John. And among the things that he talks about there are things that we've already referenced in our previous studies about the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Other things that we have looked at or the Bible speaks of about not loving the world or the things that are uh, in the world. And if you really drill down into those verses, again, hear me please, hear me please. What the church calls worldly, amen, obviously changes with the denomination. Um, you know, there, there are folks that say the television is worldly. And there are folks that say certain styles of, of clothing or hairstyles are, are worldly. 
And I really think that our enemy just kind of sits back and laughs at all of that. Because what's really worldly, according to the scriptures, if you drill down into it, is when we share common interest with the world. In other words, when, when the interests of the world become our interests. Let me say that another way, okay? You say, well, the interest of the world becoming our interest. Where, where are we supposed to be, and what are we supposed to be seeking first? The kingdom of God and His ways of being and doing right. Amen. Seek first the kingdom. The kingdom. See, what winds up happening is so many people in the church settle for social reform and different things of of that nature. They're trying to change the world by being like the world. Trying to take what is an interest of the world and and making that interest our assignment, our mission. That is not our assignment. That is not our mission. But but why would we do that? Because we want the world to like us. Did Jesus want the world to like him? No. No, see, we will never change the world trying to be like the world. You've got the interest of this world and you've got the interests of our Father and His kingdom. And if you read carefully what Jesus taught us, these interests often collide head on with one another. Amen. They're, they're, they're opposed to one another. And to Love the world means to prefer the interests of the world over and above the interest of our Father and His kingdom. All right, let me, let me get back to one last thing here this morning. Praise God. Are you still with me? <clears throat> now, let's, go, let's finish in Mark, the eighth chapter. Let's go back there. We've been here a time or two. Let's go back to Mark chapter 8. Let me, let me say it again, okay? If you're going to live in victory over the enemy, you're going to have to be victorious over his lies and deception. He can influence your life and the outcomes of your life to the extent that he can influence the way you see things, the way you look at things. Amen. To be deceived means to believe something is one way when it's actually another way. When, when, the, when the scriptures say how, how Satan deceived Eve, what does that mean? It means that he was able to manipulate her into seeing the forbidden fruit in a different light. And... It's what he is doing all over this world. The whole world is under the sway. How in the world, how in the world is the, is, is the whole world under the sway of the evil one? It's because the world sees things the way the devil wants them to see them. That's how he's pulling that off. That's how he is accomplishing that, that 
that uh, the magnitude of, of that kind of uh, effect. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse number 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. wonder how big of a loaf that was. Amen. Must not have been very big because they already knew they were going to be hungry. Then he, Jesus, charged them saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now what is Jesus ultimately saying here? There's a lot that's going to take place before the explanation is given. But in the same way that a little bit of yeast will cause an entire lump of dough to rise. And, and by the way, yeast is, is a living organism that feeds on the sugars, if I understand this correctly, uh, in the dough. And as it, as it feeds on them, it releases gases, and that's what causes the, the dough to rise. And, and the principle, biblical principle, biblical truth, is that a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. Jesus said the kingdom of God was like leaven. You know, sprinkled into a, a lump of dough, it'll, it'll eventually overtake the whole lump. And so the leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees, is, I believe what Jesus is saying here, is just a little bit of that wrong way of looking at things. He's talking about the perspective of a secular government and the perspective of religion and how a little bit of that lingering in their lives can have negative effect and ultimately even cancel out, if they allowed it to, all the good things that he was teaching them. So that's where Jesus is going with this, right? So he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke up the seven for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. So he said to them, How is it you do not understand? How is it you do not understand? Now, it's this phrase, and they reason among themselves. I've, I've got so many other things that I'm looking forward to us covering in our time together on Sundays. But every time I try to move past this, it's like the Holy Spirit keeps circling me back because this, this is a, a key uh, uh, factor in uh, overcoming in these areas this idea of when you and, 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 and I, when, when we reason among ourselves or even within ourself, but do not, do not reason together with God. Okay? Where was Jesus again? He was right there in the boat with them. But they didn't reason with him. They chose instead to reason among themselves. So 
there's a principle that we've been establishing along the way. And this principle is from Matthew's Gospel. And the principle is what you look to, you will look through. Okay? Anybody remember this? What you look to, Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what you look to becomes the lens you look through. You will never see things as they truly are looking to the wrong things as a source. Amen. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. You were never meant to live in this world with a view of this world that comes from this world. Why do so many people, why do so many people live in this world with a view of the world that came from the world? It's because they look to the world. They look to the world. Now, this idea of looking to something means more than looking at it. Remember the first step with, with Satan tempting Eve. The first thing he had to get her to do was look at the fruit. Really look at the tree. Then once he got her to look at the tree, he got her to look at the fruit. But eventually, what he's trying to get her to do, and eventually he got her there because she reasoned with him and left Adam and, um, uh, and God out of the uh, uh, conversation... And so eventually he took advantage of things she didn't understand. Remember, if you don't understand things, you be, it becomes easier for the devil to deceive you, right? And so eventually he was able to get her to not just look at the tree, not just look at the fruit, but he eventually got her to look to the fruit. What does that mean? It means she began to see the fruit as an answer for something in her life. She began to look to the fruit as, as, it, as it having ability to produce results in her, lives that, in her life that she couldn't, in the life of her family, that she couldn't produce any other way. So this is what we mean by looking to something. Not just looking at it. The devil knows that if he can get you to look at it long enough, he'll eventually get you to look to it. Amen. This, this is what happens uh, when, when people commit sexual sin. They, they look at, right? Jesus said if you look at a woman to commit adultery with her in her heart, you, you look at her to commit adultery, you've already done it in your heart, right? The more you look at it, next thing you know, now you start looking to that person as, as meeting some unmet need in your life, as being able to do something for you that your spouse can't do for you, blah, blah, blah. We just go on and on with that, right? I'm not trying to make anybody uncomfortable. I'm just saying this is, this is a universal principle that applies in every area and aspect that the enemy would try to work against us in our lives. So think about it now. When the disciples were reasoning among themselves, who were they looking to for answers? That's the point I'm trying to get you to see right here. Jesus just said something that made them uncomfortable. Jesus just said something that they didn't fully understand what he was getting at. They didn't fully understand the point that he was trying to make. But rather than asking him, rather than looking to him for the answer, for the, for the explanation, they chose instead to look amongst, them, amongst themselves. They begin to look to one another. Okay? Now, in other words, they're, they're looking to themselves 
Let, let me just read it the way I put it in my notes. Who were they looking to when they were reasoning among, them swell, among themselves? Who were they not looking to may be the better question. Now, I want you to notice their automatic response when faced with a situation they did not understand. And the reason it's important is because I want you and me, amen, we need to begin to pay very close attention to the first place we look to, turn to, go to for answers when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation. What? Sweet Jesus, help me, Father. Now, let let me give you a brief word about what I mean by uncomfortable situations. Okay? The reality is this. We will not remain in a state of dissatisfaction, discontentment, or discomfort without trying to find answers and relief. If you climb in the seat of your truck and you wind up sitting funny on the wallet in your back right pocket, you are not going to just sit there and take that pocket digging into your hip. That may be so simple. What are we going to do? We're going to adjust it. We're going to squirm around. We're not just going to say, well, man, I'll have to try to sit down better next time. No, if there's dissatisfaction in our lives, why is, why is this the case? It's because we were created by God to be satisfied. We were created by God to be content. We were created by God to be in comfort and to be comforted by Him. Are you understand what I'm saying here? Now, some people call this different things. I've heard it called the law of pain or, or, or what have you. But the bottom line of it is this. If there's dissatisfaction, if there's discontentment of, of the smallest kind all the way up to the, to the grandest, amen, we're going to try to find some sort of answer, some sort of relief, some way to correct what is dissatisfying us, causing us to be discontent, causing us to be in discomfort. So notice now, the moment that it starts getting a little too hot in the kitchen for the disciples because Jesus is trying to teach them something and reveal something to them, expose something that the devil you know, doesn't want to have exposed in their lives, the first go-to is they're automatic. That's what I want you to see. We've been conditioned for years and years and years and years in our lives to think certain ways, so much so that those thoughts become automatic thoughts, the responses become automatic responses. There are things, most people in this room, most people in this room, there are certain things in your life that if somebody says to you, some of you, some some folks in here, you you don't even have to have a word spoken to you. Somebody can just look at you a certain way and it'll evoke an automatic response. From you. Here, here's one way to illustrate this. What does it take for you to get self-defensive? Think about it, right? What does it take for you to get self-defensive? Is that your plate on the kitchen table? Who's asking? It's like, you know, it goes in the sink, dude. You know what I'm saying? I mean, are you with me? 
automatic response. Why are you calling me a slob? I'm calling you a slob. Just ask you if that was your plate. Do you, would you like for me to put it in the sink? See, this, this is what I mean. We, we've been so conditioned. And, and that's what was going on with the disciples here. They, they've been so, I mean, they've been spending time with Jesus. He's right there in the boat with them. But the minute they feel a little out of their league, the minute they feel, uh, uh, you know, a little bit like on their, you know, heels and, you know, what, what in the world? They do what they've been doing their whole life. They reason among themselves. Here's the thing. You ready? You'll always be limited to the perspective of those you reason among. The best you can can hope for is the best idea, the best opinion, or the best advice your fellow reasoners can muster. Who's ever heard this one? It's not a Bible verse, by the way. You cannot soar with the eagles when you surround yourself with turkeys. Anybody know who said it? I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you. I thought it was older than this. That's an Adam Sandler quote. Adam Sandler. Somebody says the first book of imaginations, right? The first imaginations. No, it's... it's you cannot soar with the eagles when you surround yourself with turkeys. What are we trying to say? I, I, I just kind of modified that a little bit. You'll never soar with the eagles as long as you reason with the turkeys. Reasoning with turkeys means you're looking to turkeys for eagle answers. Reasoning with someone to figure out how to get to a level you cannot get to on your own when they don't know themselves. But think about it. What compels us to reason with turkeys instead of eagles? Why would these men choose to reason among themselves when the greatest eagle to ever soar is right there in the boat with them? I believe the answer, plain and simple, is pride. I believe they were pretending to be on a spiritual level that they were not yet on. And it was much easier to pretend that with other men who were pretending the same thing rather than humble themselves and ask Jesus to tell them more. They made a choice a lot of people in the body of Christ are making today. They chose uh, appearing to be spiritual over being truly spiritual. And therefore they reason among themselves and came up with the best answer, the best opinion, the best advice that the group could offer. He must be talking about lunch. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What did Father say? He said, said, come now. And let us reason together. And, and no matter what stains, what sin, what, what's on your record, he said, we, we, we can make it white as snow. We, we can resolve it. Together. Together.
Amen. Father, thank you for exposing your enemy and our enemy for us in your word. Father, he is not our friend. He is not trying to help us. He never has been and he never will be. Any advice or counsel that he may offer us is nothing more than him negotiating with us away from your best for us. Father, help us recognize all the different times throughout our day, our week, Lord, whatever the case may be, that we're reasoning within ourselves or reasoning with other people and not including you in the conversation. Father, thank you for the wisdom that you have hidden and ordained for our glory. Wisdom that has been kept secret since the foundations of the world that is now made available to us in Christ. Secret things, Father. Perspectives on life and living and success and victory and prosperity, Lord, that are available to those who are willing to reason together with you. Father, thank you that your Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and he is leading and guiding us into all truth. Thank you, Father, that as we study your word, your Holy Spirit comes alongside and reveals your truth to us in meaningful ways, in impactful ways in our lives. Father, I thank you that even this week, Lord, as, as those listening to me right now, Father, as they pick up their Bibles to begin to read them, Father, that truth will literally leap off the page, Father. Insight and, and understanding and wisdom and answers, Father, will become crystal clear. Will be like a giant towel cleaning Fog off the inside of a windshield, Father, and, and, and the clarity, the clarity. Lord, those in this room who have important decisions before them, I thank you, Father, for clarity. Father, I thank you that, that areas of hidden, unnoticed, unconscious double-mindedness, Father, I thank you that you're bringing it to light. You're showing us, Father, how we're areas in our lives where we may be trying to send the devil out the front door but are leaving the back door open for him to come and go as he pleases. Father, show us these things. And show us, Father, how to have victory over your enemy and our enemy by experiencing victory over his lies and deception. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes, sir. Okay. Amen. 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 Y'all be blessed. Have a great rest of your day, a wonderful week ahead.
Thank you for being here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.